0: Welcome to the third of the MSK GP from practice revision sessions. This presentation looks at the case of William Lambourne, who's a late middle-aged man who presents to his GP with pain in his foot. If you look at the first slide, it's worth just pausing and looking at William's past medical history and the medication that he's taking. As always, it's also worth taking note of his alcohol consumption. The next slide takes us on to the history that William presents to his GP. And he describes the pain in his foot as excruciating. He's not a man prone to exaggeration. He tells his GP that this woke him in the early hours of the morning And he really struggled to get back to sleep as his foot was so painful. Even the contact of the bedclothes was too much for him to bear. On waking today, looking at his foot, he tells his GP that it looks red, swollen, and is very tender to touch. So, again, with your clinical reasoning hat on, Hopefully your thoughts are starting to move towards what might be going on here. Again, you're on a GP attachment and your GP suggests that you might ask William some questions. GP suggests go and ask him three questions that help you get nearer to finding out what's going on. Encourage you to stop and think now. What would you ask him? What line of questioning is going to give you the most return? And as I said in the notes on this slide, you have to be thinking about a differential diagnosis in order that you can ask questions most productively. So on to the next slide. Here I document what I think I would ask him at this point. And if you've been through the case before of the old lady with polyarthralgia, you'll notice that these questions are remarkably similar. But very much worth asking William if this is something he's experienced in the past. You'd certainly want to ask him about the distribution of his joint pain. The main issue we have to decide here is whether this is a monoarthritis, and by that we mean inflammation affecting one joint, or whether it's polyarthritis affecting several. And as I suggested, ought to be asked in any case of inflammatory arthritis. The question about his general well-being would be valuable. Has William been unwell? Has he been feverish, out of sorts? Drowsy? Night sweats. Anything suggestive of systemic illness. Again, you need to be thinking about your differential diagnosis here. And as I suggest in the notes, differential diagnosis for a monoarthritis has a rather different list to that of polyarthritis, although, of course, some of the diagnoses can be shared. Of course, as the next slide reminds you, you probably want to have a look at this, but before you start formulating your differential diagnosis. And generally in people presenting with joint pain, you might want to look at other joints as well, particularly the joints of the hand. However, having said that, in reality, if a patient tells me they are symptom-free in their other joints, I might skip that step, but I don't encourage you to do so, particularly not in OSCIS. Next slide takes us on to some differential diagnoses, and it's a fairly long list. But actually, gout is by far the likeliest diagnosis here, and the others on the list are all possible, uh, and you need to think about them as differentials. But what makes me think this is gout is the monoarthritic nature of this, the fact that it's affected the Hallux, which is by far the commonest joint for gout to affect. The episodic nature of this attack, and also Williams' wrist factors. And we'll go on to that a little bit later. Looking at the other differential diagnoses, probably the most important one to rule out is septic arthritis. Septic arthritis can affect any joint And it can be difficult to differentiate from gout, but it's actually far less common. And I think it's fair to say that a patient presenting with septic arthritis is generally going to be more unwell than a patient presenting with gout. We'll, We'll go on to talk about that. Of course, looking at the other possibilities, you do need to think about trauma. You know, if he's been kicking a football around or if someone's stamped on his foot, if he's got underlying osteoarthritis, and he almost certainly does at his age, that can sometimes flare, although it's unusual in the foot. Pseudo gout, uh, you'll be taught about that. It's another crystal arthropathy. Tends to affect different joints to gout, tends to go for larger joints, so less likely. We mentioned reactive arthritis, which is often viral. Um, again, a possibility probably more common in younger patients and in children and of course going right to the bottom of the list it's worth remembering that rheumatoid rheumatoid, and psoriatic arthritis other inflammatory arthritis can present in this way although we tend to think of them as uh, arthritis that affect multiple joints the so polyarthritis they can start in one joint so you do need to consider it uh, in your list of differentials But again, you know, going back to the top of the list and thinking about likelihood, um, the story, the clinical presentation, the appearance, and William's risk factors strongly point to this being gout. The following slides take us on to William's risk factors for gout. These are very classical. The old-fashioned view of gout, and I saw the lecture that you had on this during the block, You know, talks about the gin-swigging kernel, and gout being a problem to do with overconsumption, particularly of alcohol. But in fact, quite a number of people presenting with gout don't have the kind of cartoon image of the gouty patient. Uh, there often is a family history, and there is an inbuilt error of metabolism that means that some people are more prone to gout and they may live very virtuous lives and be very surprised when they present with gout so it is worth asking about family history of course alcohol consumption is important whether that's the cause of the gout which it can be if people drink heavily or it's an exacerbating factor um, alcohol may well be a culprit in flaring gout quite a common thing to happen When people go on holidays that they drink more alcohol and drink less water so they get dehydrated and more alcohol in the system and that really can quite often precipitate an attack of gout. If you have a patient who suffers with a recurrent gout it's worth giving them some first aid advice when they go on holiday to try to prevent that. You'll notice that drugs are on there and there are a number of um, drug classes that can cause gout, but classically thiazide diuretics are a culprit. Thiazides aren't used as often now as they used to be for hypertension, but there are still a surprising number of people on them. Uh, Loop diuretics can also increase the risk as can ACE inhibitors. And worth noticing here as well that as with many other conditions, if you have comorbidities such as obesity, hypertension, diabetes, that can make you more prone to gout. The final slide really summarises why I've chosen this case. What do I think is important about it? I think it's worth you thinking about monoarthritis and thinking about how you would compose a differential diagnosis for it. As I've said a couple of times, it is a somewhat different list to polyarthritis, but again, as I said before, remember that Arthritis such as rheumatoid and other systemic arthritis can present with a monoarthritis, so it does need to at least be on your list of differentials. Gout is common, so it's something that GPs will see several times a month. And if you go back to the differential diagnosis list, pretty much everything on there is a lot less common than gout. But interestingly... My experience is that gout is commonly misdiagnosed. I sometimes look back at patients presenting with pretty obvious gout and see that in the past they have presented with similar pain and physical findings and been diagnosed with other things, and that can include septic arthritis. Making a diagnosis of gout is important. I'm not going to go into the management of gout because, again, I've looked at the lecture you had on it, and it's extremely comprehensive. But thinking around gout has changed in the last few years. We often used to tolerate people having gout on the basis that, well, you know, a few days misery a few times a year may be worth putting up with. But we need need to think about the long-term complications of gout, which can cause a destructive arthritis in the joint. Also, as William has demonstrated, it isn't actually just a couple of days of unpleasantness. Acute gout is really miserable, and it can often be worth preventing. Again, you may want to try to modify the risk factors. If people have a bad diet, if they're drinking too heavily, you can advise them about that. You're probably going to want to change William's hypertension medication, does he really need to be on a thiazide? Because there are likely to be alternatives that are less prone to causing gout. And the last point I make, and this this applies to joint pain of any kind, you know, it's an old adage, but the story really is everything. You can pretty much diagnose William as having gout without taking his shoe and sock off he has risk factors, he has a very typical story, and very importantly, he has a previous episode that put together with this one is painting a story of gout. I have suggested you might want to have a look at what NICE uh, clinical knowledge summary says about gout, and again I hope you've enjoyed these series of talk through the uh, revision cases, and I shall try and Keep the series going into the other revision blocks.